Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Morgan is here. In the female version. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, I sent my husband, or he sent himself, <laughs> off to his happy hunting grounds. That does not mean he's in heaven. That means he's in Tennessee. <laughs> I didn't want anyone to misunderstand what I was saying. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be home. I spent two days with him, and uh, he shipped me back on a plane in, in Knoxville, and I got to see one beautiful full day of fall color, and the next morning I woke up to fresh snow on the ground. I got it all in two days, you know. Why do you need to stay a month, right? So thank God. When you're doing God's will, when you're, when you're uh, doing the desire of his heart, he makes things happen for you fast because he knows you got to get back. Praise the Lord. Well, today I, I want to do something, Mr. Paul, if you'll throw up that Ephesians scripture um, up there on the screen. Amen. So I want you just to pray this with me. Um, <clears throat> say this, I pray, I pray to the Father, to the Father of, every family in heaven. of every family in heaven. Oh, is that the Amplified? Yeah. yeah, okay. On earth is named. I can't see that very good. That Father, I am whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. May he grant unto us out of the rich treasury of his glory to be strengthened today and reinforced with mighty power in our inner man by the Holy Spirit himself indwelling our innermost being and personality. Verse 17, may Christ through faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in my heart. May I be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love, that I may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, what is the breadth, the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth of it, that I may really come to know practically through experience the love of Christ. Amen. So we pray this today. And Father, I pray that you, according to Ephesians 1, would flood everybody's heart in this place with light. Amen. Do you love Jesus this morning? Well, the, the title of my sermon is The North Side of the Mountain. And I've got a North Side of the Mountain experience. Abraham had an, a North Side of the Mountain experience. He had a couple of mountain experiences. But um, we're going we're gonna to begin there, and then I'm going to tell you my North Side of the Mountain. The North Side of the Mountain is very cold. Let me just say that. And I will tell you the experience that I actually had with a true physical north side of the mountain. But it's very high, it's very cold, it's very bitter, but it can be sweet. Amen? So let's go to Romans 4. We'll start there, and then we'll see where God takes us. Amen? I, I preached the first sermon, the first service. I preached my whole sermon backwards. So God bless you, Paul, for moving backwards with me. Amen? Verse 13 of Romans 4. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
Thank God that God made Abraham an heir to the world, right? An heir of the world. So we can follow in the steps of Abraham. We don't have to be Jews. Amen? Amen. I love the Jews, but we don't have to be that because I'm not that. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect if it just became by law because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there's no transgression. And there was a big argument, you know, in, in the New Testament with the Jews about, you know, was, was it accounted to him for righteousness before he was circumcised or after Abraham was circumcised? Because they kept trying to, you know, jut that thing in about the law. The law says you need to be circumcised. And the Bible says before, right before where we started reading, the Bible says that Abraham, that God accounted righteousness because of his faith to him because before he was ever circumcised. And then after that, he received what's called the seal of that. So, so I didn't know this, but you know, all my sons were circumcised and most people in the United States are, not, not everybody, but I didn't know the fact that Abraham received the seal. That seal represents that this was imputed to him before he was circumcised righteousness by his faith in God. So really, when that happens, when a baby male receives circumcision, that honestly is a seal that God imputed faith, uh, righteousness, by Abraham's faith in him before he was ever circumcised. There's no law attached to this whatsoever. Amen? Amen? And so God said, I'm going to accredit that to you, your faith and faith alone. Everybody say faith alone. Faith alone. Amen. Therefore, it is of faith, verse 16, that it, that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all of us, all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, now here's God talking, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Everybody say, God gives life to the dead. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. He said to Abraham, not I'm going to make you. He said, I have made you. And Abraham was still dead in, his, in, his, in, in himself. And Sarah's womb was still dead, and he was 100, and she was 90. And he didn't receive the manifestation of this problem, promise until 25 years later. But God said to him that day, I've made you the father of many nations. Amen. Well, what does that even look like? When you've been dead for a hundred years, you've never even been able to have one child. Sometimes things happen for so long in your life, you don't even know what it looks like to get out of it. Because right. it's been the same way. It's been in front of you all the time. It's like, what does this even look like for me to be free? What does this even look like for my body to be healed? I've been this way all, all my life. Abraham's been this way all his life, and God shows up and starts painting a picture on his heart. He says, well, you may not have been able to see me or yourself having a child, but can you see the, can you see the, the sand on the shore? Can you see the pebbles of sand? He said, yeah. Can you see the stars in the sky? He said, yes, that's the picture I'm going to paint for you. Your seed, so shall your seed be. Amen? And so God, who calls those things which be not as though they were, 
It says, God who gives life to the dead. The Lord spoke to me, and I'm going to backtrack, or I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Lord spoke to me a few weeks ago, and he said, and he stopped me, he says, God who gives life to dead things. Not just the dead, but dead things. What's dead in your life today? What's almost dead in your life? What's mostly dead in your life? As they said on Princess Bride, he's not dead, he's just mostly dead. So what are some situations in your life that just seem dead or mostly dead or half dead? The Bible says God gives life to dead things. He gives life to the dead. And he calls those things which be not as though they are. Abraham was still dead in the, in the physical, in the natural. And the man didn't manifest until 25 years later, but then he had a son through Sarah. It says they both were dead, you know, in their productive, reproductive organs. God who gives life to dead things. Say this, God gives life to dead things. Now the Bible says we're to be imitators of God. In Ephesians, it says we're to imitate God. What are you calling that you don't see what you want to see? What are you calling those things that should be not as though they were? You need to call those things alive again. God said, I have made you. Not I'm going to. He says, I've made you. It's done with me. He called it 25 years before he saw it actually manifest. When I lived in the cabin in Paisley, um, we were getting ready to have a father-son camp out, and that's a big deal. And the, the boys and the fathers loved to, to go off our dock, get in their canoes or the kayaks, and go fishing in the lake. And it was a beautiful little lake. But that summer, the hydrilla monster took over. And, uh, you know, the, the birds or whoever, you know, carry the stuff on their feet, and the hydrilla just consumed my lake. It probably consumed my lake, half of my lake. And it was on my side of the lake the whole summer. You know, I didn't do anything about it. I didn't say nothing to it. I was just mad, you know, and I jumped in my lake on my float off the dock so I didn't have to touch the hydrilla because it was kind of gross, you know, you're jumping into that mess. And so I would jump on my float and then I would just float out until I had clear water. And so I was so upset. Here comes uh, November. It's right around the corner. Father-son camp out. And I was so upset about that hydrilla because the boys were not going to be able to Get, get, get out in that. They won't do it. They won't do what I do. They just won't do it. So you have to be really desperate to go swimming <laughs> when you have hydrilla sitting in front of your dock. And it was a lot of it. I woke up one morning and the Lord said, look out the window. I said, all right. He said, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And he brought me to that scripture. Paul put up 1 Corinthians. Nope. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, and verse 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You might think you got some problems going on, but the Bible says that this is a light affliction to God. It's just for a moment, but it's working in you, and it's working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18. While we do not look, while we do not look at the things which are seen, 
but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are only temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, God is saying, my word is eternal. My word is absolute. What I say is absolute. What's going on in your life may look like it's absolute, but it may be a fact, but it is not the truth. And, if, and if, if God told you to be an imitator of him, if he calls those things which be not as though they were, then he's expecting you to call those things in your life which be not as though they were. We're supposed to follow him. Amen. And so when I looked out that window, he said to me, it's only temporary. I knew exactly what that meant. I went right to that scripture that the things that are seen are only temporary. I looked out my window. I was on the, the porch of my balcony. I looked over and said, I speak to you, Hydrilla, in Jesus' name. I'm doing the work of God. I'm calling these boys and their fathers out here. We're helping these kids in the mobile home park who have no fathers. I'm telling you, Hydrilla, you get off my land. You get off my dock. You get off my lake. You get off my side of the lake. I don't care where you go, but get off around my my area in the name of Jesus you are only temporary Amen. two days to the father son camp out in two days all the hydrilla around my area which was huge had blown next door to the neighbors <laughs> hey I didn't tell it where to go I just told it to go and a huge wind or something came in and blew it all to the neighbor's property and up on his shore. Hey, I have a covenant with God. I have a covenant. And I'm not trying to, you know, hurt people or anything like that. I'm just saying that I told it to go. And if, you know, if that neighbor doesn't want to keep it off his property, that's his business. Amen? So, I'm going to tell you a story. Now remember this, Romans 8, 11, the same spirit. Remember how God spoke to me and said, don't just look at that as he who gives life to the dead. He gives life to dead things. The same spirit, Romans 8, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and he shall quicken your mortal body. The same spirit of God, the same spirit of God. Well, who is God? Who is God? We say that verse, the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. He dwells in me. He'll quicken my mortal body. No, that doesn't mean he's going to quicken you when you go to heaven. You don't need your mortal body in heaven. You're going to have an immortal body. What's he doing for you right now? Why is he in there? Is he just sitting there and twiddling his thumbs? No. He says the same spirit that's in you now. Greater is he that's in you now. You need him now. He shall quicken your mortal body now. He gives life to dead things. What's dead in your life right now? What's half dead in your life? What's a little bit dead in your life? Don't put up with it. Don't put up with it. None of it. I don't care what the world says. Don't put up with it. Speak to it. Tell it to get off your body. Ephesians 2.10, for I am his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. If he's prepared beforehand before the beginning of time for a good work for you to walk in. Do not accept less than that good work that he's prepared for you to walk in. How can you walk when you're sick? How can you walk when you're discouraged? How can you walk when you're on drugs? 
to pharmaceutical drugs. We'll just include it all. How can you walk when you're half here? Mentally, physically, spiritually. I'm not downing anybody for anything. But you don't have to put up with it. He's redeemed you from the curse of the law. Man, if you don't know what you're redeemed from, go read the curses of the law in Deuteronomy 28. And it's all there. And it said, and everything else that's not written in this book of the law, this is what's going to fall on you when, if you disobey. But then in Galatians 3.13, the Bible says, Christ has redeemed us from all that curse. Amen. Being made, ooh, a curse yes. for us. Because he was put on that tree. Amen. And God said, curse him. Why? Because he took our place. Yes. He knew the fruit that was going to come out of that. Yes. So don't put up with that. Amen. God gives life to yes. dead things. Yes. He quickens you. Yes. He energizes you. So I'm going to tell you a story. Quite a few years back, I went snow skiing. I went out to Colorado, went to Keystone, nice mountain. I took a friend of mine. We stayed at a family member's house. About an hour drive. Whew, you know, it's a long drive there, long drive back when you're tired after a long day of skiing. And when I ski, I push myself. I just, you know, put my backpack on, put a few snacks and then nuts, and I just, I just want to get everything I can get out of it, you know, because those rides take a while sometimes. But this day, I left my friend home because she was tired, and I said, ah, I get to go to Arapahoe. Now, I don't know if it's 14,000 or 16,000 feet, but it's very high. And it's called the Arapahoe Basin. So it's a bowl. It's a big snow bowl where the snowboarders and the skiers go. A lot, a lot of snowboarders, they go there and they get up on one hot top of the high mountain and they scoot down on their board and their skis and that just shoots them up because of the speed on the top of another mountain. And it looks so fun. And I'm just sitting there watching them going, I want to do that. I'm afraid, but I want to do it. I want to feel the wind in my hair. You know, I don't want to swish. I don't want to wedge. I want to put my skis straight in front of me, tuck those poles under my arm, get down really low, and I want to go as fast as I can. And I want that speed to shoot me up the other side of the mountain. So it was Monday, not a lot of skiers, and it was cold. So 14,000, 16,000 square feet, whatever. It's a high mountain. And I got up there, and I, and I said, okay, here I go. Waited for the whole path to clear because there's a lane a path where, where just regular people are going down. They, it all cleared, and I got on that, I got on that, uh, skip my skis, and I went, on your mark, get set, go! And I just tucked, and here I go. And the wind is in my hair, my face is going, ah, and my skis are shaking, but there was no time to be scared, because if you get scared, you start leaning back and hug that mountain where you came from. You don't want to hug the mountain that you just came from. You want to keep your eyes on the mountain you're going to, because the truth is, if I go too fast, I could shoot up that side, get on the top, and actually fall over if I'm going too fast. And I knew that because there was rocks and un ungroomed territory on the other side. So here I am. I was going fast, and I shot up the side of the north side of the next mountain on the other side of the basin. I shot up there, and I was still going too fast. It had, it had slowed me down some, but here I am almost at the top, and I knew I was going to have to dig my heels in. And I dug my heels in like you'd never seen in your life. I dug my heels in. <laughs> it's just 
snow all over the mountain. And I almost, I mean, I was at the top and it was scary, but it was wonderful. And here's the thing. When I was at the top of that mountain, there was no tree line. It was bald. It was cold. There, but there, when I looked right over the, the top, there was some trees growing out on the north side of that mountain. And I thought, oh, my God, how in the world do those trees grow out, grow up this, this cold, this high, out of the rock? How are they doing that? And I was just like amazed by it. And then just a couple weeks ago, I was really discouraged. So now we're fast forwarding about 15 years, 10 years. A couple weeks ago, I was really discouraged about some situations going on in my life that I think that really need to be resolved by this time. <laughs> it's been going on a long time. And um, I put in a, a CD by Pastor Mark Hankins, and it was called The North Side of the Mountain. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to listen to the word because I'm really discouraged. I'm very discouraged. And it was one of those discouraging times where I had started kind of on a downward spiral going, started from, why hasn't this manifested yet? What in the world? We preach this. We, you know, da-da-da, on and on. All the way down to the fact of now, it's, I'm not mad at God. Now I'm mad at myself. Why, why can't I seem to get this miracle that I need? You, you know, and then it, was, it went down to the devil just beating me. Look at you. You have no right to be in this pulpit. You have no right to preach in a few weeks. Look at you. You don't have everything under control. And then down and down I went. I'm like, you know what? I don't. So I'm not preaching. I'm going to ask somebody else to preach. <laughs> you, you know? And so, so here I go. And I was, I was discouraged. I was discouraged. And then Pastor Mark told a story. He said, I bought my wife a piano, a baby grand piano. And I came home one day and there was a tuner there tuning the piano. And he was playing just the sweetest music the sweetest music. He said it was just so wonderful. He says it was so beautiful. I went down, I sat beside him and I said, hey, you know, how you doing? Just connected with him. And the tuner looked at him and he was very talented. And he said, you have a sweet piano. He says, I know it's sweet because I'm sweet. I bought this for my wife. I have five years of payments. I'm sweet. And he's just making jokes like he does. <laughs> and the tuner said, no, no, no. You have a sweet piano. Finally, Pastor Mark calmed down and he said, well, what does that mean? Why is my piano that I bought so much sweeter than all the other pianos? He said, because, let me tell you a story about this piano. He said, guitar makers and piano makers, they fight for a special kind of wood to make their pianos and their guitars out of. And it's, all, it's, it, it's in Colorado on the top of some of the highest mountains and it's called spruce wood. And see, those are the trees that I saw grow, you know, growing up there on Arapaho. Yeah. And so he said they fight for the spruce tree. And they fight for getting those trees at the tree line. And not only do they fight for getting that spruce tree up there at the tree line, they fight for the spruce tree that has now exceeded the tree line and is on the north side of the mountain. That's the part where I looked over and saw the rocks and the ungroomed territory and saw these trees jutting out just like that. He says, so not only are they looking for the highest trees on the highest part of the mountain, they're they want to go above the tree line and they want to go over to the north 
facing side of the mountain where the winds are the coldest, where the adversity is the coldest and the worst on these trees. Not only are they the tree line, the north side of the mountain, they only want and they all fight for the wood or the half of the tree on that north side of the mountain that's facing north. Whoa. And he said, why is that? He says, because the colder they get and the worse the winds get, it causes the bands of that tree to grow tighter and tighter and closer and closer. And the tightest spruce trees, because they're keeping themselves warm, so they grow and they grow and they they intertwine their bands. So those trees the tighter the bands are, the closer they are together, the most adversity or the adverse of situations that has come against those trees make the sweetest sounding music. Uh, Are you getting this? The most adverse of circumstances, the coldest, the north side, the north side of the tree, the highest above the tree line. They fight for those trees and that side of the tree because they know that piece of wood is going to make the sweetest music. And I was discouraged. And I heard that story and I said, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So what was happening to me was the fact that I, I was... Too much focused on, well, you know, these situations, these people have a will. They're just not choosing the right choices. They're not making God's will. And God, and Satan's like, yep, and they're going to hell. And you're going to cry your brains out. And you're going to stand in front of their funerals and, and, and all of that. And it was, just, it was all about these people not doing what they're supposed to do. And, 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 and I, I don't have any control over this situation. But, yeah, I see your promises here. And the Lord said, shift. He said, shift your focus. He said, forget about this peripheral that's got you so down. He says, let me tell you something. This attack that's on you, take it personal. This attack is against you. It's against your husband. It's against this church. It's against your family. So you will abandon the call. So it will dishearten you. So it will discourage you. So you will walk away from the destiny and the call that I've planned for you. He said, Take it personal. It's against you. Forget about, forget about the little people and the situations. He said, it's against you to rob you and to rob these people and to rob this city and to rob the anointing and destroy it. He said, rise up and take authority. It's against you. He said, can you take authority over stuff that's coming against you? Yes, I can, God. Yes, I can. He said, it's against your call. It's against your husband. Satan wants to destroy your husband. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family because you won't shut up. Mm. <laughs> he, said the, he said the worst thing you can do is stay out of that pulpit. Get back in that pulpit. Yeah. Preach like the word of God is true. Amen. As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I am going to serve the Lord. He said it's against you. It's against the call. He says, this cold winds of adversity, they are devised by Satan to discourage you, to stop you. When I was dating my husband, it's not what I planned. It's not what I planned. I loved who I was dating, and I loved the man of God that he was. 
but the, the, it wasn't what I dreamed. It wasn't what, what I had in my head. I was going to marry this, this guy that was around my age, and, and I gave God all these requirements, and this is what I'm going to do, and, and, th- and he's going to be in the ministry, and, and it, it didn't fit any of that. I mean, he was in the ministry, but all the rest didn't fit. None of it. I mean, he had kids, and it's not the fact that that's bad. It's just that kids love their mother. It doesn't matter how. how what happened? They love their mother. And? I thought, well, they're not going to love me. They're not going to treat me right. But that's not true. That's just a lie of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what to do with kids at first. Just they were great. But that's not what I planned. I gave God this whole list. This is what's going to be, you know. <laughs> and he spoke to me audibly one day. I was 16 years old. He spoke to me audibly in my bed. He says, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to give me your request. And you're trying to be specific. And I get that. And when I said... I made all this list, and I said, and I don't want him to be more than five years older than me. <laughs> I'm just being, I'm, re, I'm being real. I'm sharing my heart with you. And an audible voice spoke to me in my bedroom. I can remember the wall. I can remember the bed I was laying on. He said, don't ask me that. <laughs> God's asking me not to ask him something? Because I, I can. He gave the children of Israel a king. But was that his will? No. no, they pressured and they pressured and they pressured. He wanted Samuel to lead them. He wanted the prophet to lead them. We want a king. We want a king like everybody else. He gave him a king. But it wasn't his will. He said, don't ask me that. Not if you want my perfect will. Oh, I knew I was doomed. No, <laughs> no I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in that way. It's just the way he said as like, oh no, oh no. I'm going to marry this really old guy. <laughs> hey honey, if you're watching, I love you. Everybody say, hi Pastor Daryl. No, you just have these pictures in your head of this old gray-haired walking man walking in the cave. Will you marry me? No, that's not true. That's not true. And, and I met him, and, and we started dating, but everybody at that time was against us. My pastors that I love, it's not that way now, but my pastors that I love said, we, I'm not going to marry you. We won't marry you. How do you feel like that if pastor and I, that, you know, if you love us and you're close to us, and, and, and we said to you, no, we won't marry you. You're in sin. No, that broke my heart. It's the only pastor I had had, like my whole, like 13, f- five years. I mean, I started going there when I was 16. I'm 21 now. We won't marry you because you're in sin. I didn't want to be looked at that way. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a hooker. No, listen up. God loves those people. But I wasn't out there doing wrong things. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So I didn't cause this marriage to fall apart. And my own pastors who love me and I love them said, you can't marry him. We won't accept that. And his wife, and she's not that way now. They're wonderful. They're on our board. They, they, they repented and said, we should have never treated y'all like that. But they had hang-ups. And so she said to me, you don't want a used car. You want a new car. You're young. You're fresh. You deserve young, fresh, a virgin. And I thought, yes, I do. (laughs) I'm telling you, 
No, I'm telling you, I'm telling you a story. We have things that happen in our life. If we don't ever share our lives with you, you guys like, she's just preaching from the word and the word is good. But if you listen to my story, you'll feel the emotion. She, a woman of God who I love, who prophesied the will of God and things in my life that came to pass. She looks at me and says, you don't want to use car. You want a fresh new car. That's a version. You deserve that. I'm thinking, oh my God, I was so just, I, I was, I was like, oh my God, I'm not doing the right thing. And I go back to my room and the Lord said, you're doing the right thing. Him and I were alone. They asked us to leave the church. That's like me asking you to leave the church now and you love me and I love you. It's not the way I thought, but it was a cold wind of adversity that hit me. They were against him. They were against me but they were for us separate. They were against us together. I walked in that church. They would not allow me to sit by him. We finally just left because we had this greater thing inside of us going, this is my will, this is my will, this is my will. I didn't even tell that in the first service. But, but God, God, he will help you. It's God in you who works in you both to will and to be able to do his good pleasure. Throw that up on the screen. Philippians 2, 13. God who works in you. It's God who works in you both to will. For it's God who works in you both to will, not to will to do, both to will and to do. It's God working in you. Don't worry about it. It's God. He says, I'm doing this for you. I'm working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If you're not doing the will of God, you are an unhappy person. I'm just saying, if you're not doing, every one of you has a destiny and a plan that he's prepared beforehand before you were born. If you're not doing it, you are an unhappy person. You're unhappy. And you're looking for happiness in all other things and external things. But if you will jump in the middle of the will of God and say, whatever you want, Lord, it's a full surrender. Give me the amplified version. I love this. Not in your own strength, word of life, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire. He's energizing and creating in you the power and the desire, both the will and do work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. So who is God? Go to Isaiah 40, Paul. Who is God? Oh my goodness. I don't even remember where we started with this verse. Can you, can you go? No, can you, can you back up for me? Is, are you able to do that? Can you back up? To, did I write it down? Yes, there we go. Here is the God who is in you working effectually and energizing you with his power for you to be able to stand on the north side of the mountain, on the north side of that tree and suffer the cold winds of adversity because he is trying to get the bands in your spirit to grow smoother and tighter and closer together so you can make some sweet music. You might think, I don't like what I'm going through right now. You want to make some sweet music? You want your test to turn into a testimony? Stand up and go, it's God who's working in me. Take this personal. Don't worry about the people around you and the situations and circumstances. They do not define you. What God says about you, it defines you. He told me that day, take it personal. Rise up. 
The spirit of faith came on me. I don't know if I've ever had spirit of faith. He came on me in the car. I rise up in Jesus' name. No, I'll not abandon the call. I don't care what happens. I'll not abandon the call. I'll not be discouraged. Satan, get off me. Get off my family. Get off my husband. Get off these certain situations, other situations. The Lord said to, to me, and he says it to you. He said, I told you, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. I'll cause whatever you put your hand to, to prosper. In the curse side, it says they're going to take your children away. And the ones that you bore will be stolen from you. And the heathen nations will raise them and raise them for their own. And men, it says that your wife will be taken away from you. And you can't help it. She'll be stolen from you and she'll be given to another. And you won't be able to do anything about it. That's what the curse says. But you're redeemed from the curse. No, my wife won't be taken. No, my husband won't be taken. Just read the curses. I challenge you and reverse them. Isaiah says, your son shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be nursed at your side. And there will be great rejoicing. Say what God said. Behold the nations. This is your God who's inside of you right now. Behold the nations to me are like a drop in the bucket. They're as a drop in the bucket. And they are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, God, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. The islands are a little thing. Keep going. You're gonna, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. Lebanon trees were huge. David built a temple out of them. They're amazing trees. And then all the, the, the woods and the forest, the Bible says, is full of animals for burnt offering. He said, Lebanon's not sufficient enough to burn for me, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. Keep going. All nations before him are as nothing, and they counted him less than nothing and worthless. You can keep going. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him to? This is God speaking. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Jump down to verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants to him are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and he spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal to? Says the Lord. God is saying, who can you compare me to? He, when he says something three times, you best sit up and listen. Who's like me? Who is my equal? He asked Job, where were you? Where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when I set boundaries on the waters? Where were you when I designed the earth? He says, where were you? Come on, gird yourself up like a man and answer me. Who is like me? The Bible says there's no one like our God. Another verse that's not in this passage, it says that he measured the, the, the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. Th- this is the hollow of your hand. That's a really big hand. He measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand and in the breadth of his hand, he spent the span of his hand, he measured the earth. That's a really big God in a really big hand. And he says, who's like me? And he just said, he's effectually working in you. This is not all about you now and your faith. Yes, you need to use faith. Just mix faith with what I'm saying right now. 
Because God says, I'm working in you. I'm going to bring this to completion. I'm going to bring this to pass. It is me who works in you. Not only to want to, to accomplish the will of God for your life, but to be able to do it. He says, you're not supposed to crumble under these attacks. You're not supposed to crumble under these adverse cold winds. He says, stand strong. Let those cold winds band your bands in your spirit closer, closer, tighter, so that you can make sweet music. Not just sweet music, but the sweetest music. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Remember what I read to you in Romans 4? God who gives life to the dead. He started with his son. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Now may this God, this God that I'm talking to, the one that you cannot compare anybody or anything to, the one who measured, measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, the one who spanned and measured the earth across the span of his hand, this is the God I'm talking about that's living in you. And you need to see that. He's not little, he's big. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God needs you to praise him, not because he's got a big head and needs a big head. He needs you to see him as big. He knows he's big. He knows who he is. He says, who's like me? There's nobody. But he needs you to see that. He needs you to put the magnifying glass on him. And that's what I'm doing in the book of Isaiah. It's like, there's nobody like him. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. He started there. That great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Verse 21. Make you, Shantae, Justin, Christian, Zach and Amber, Bob, Tiffany, and everybody else that's named in this church. Tracy and Justin. Praise the Lord. May he make you complete in every good work to do his will. There is no room for I can't do this. There is no room for I'm done. There is no room for I just have to stop. No, he's in you. He wants to complete every good work to do his will. Working in you, God, the God of the universe, is working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. When you have a situation that comes against you, you rise up and say, this is against me. Amen. This is not about, this is not always, always about someone didn't make the right choices and there's nothing you can do about it. They got a will. No, you rise up, especially if it's your family and those things that concern you. You rise up and say, no, no, this is not. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. Yes. You rise up. You say, I will not abandon the call. I will not go dark here. God is effectually working in me, both to will and to do. This is what he said. You take it personally, this problem in this situation is against you to destroy the anointing off this church, off this city, off your life. Destroy and stop the anointing to discourage, to dishearten, to stop the ammo, the ammo from being delivered, to accuse and to turn you inward against yourself, to shame you. If he can't do it through something else, he'll turn you against yourself. Who am I to think I can do this? 
You don't have it all together. But we're carrying some ammo. If he takes us out, he takes this whole church out. He takes his church out. He takes the, 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 God, the God part of what he's doing in this city. He takes, right, he takes a piece of righteousness out. Don't let the devil do it. God, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Say that with me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Psalm 138, 8 says, he will perfect that which concerns you. He'll perfect that which concerns you. Now you need, you need, I'm going to say this and um, I'm going to talk fast. So you need to listen fast. Amen. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation. I'm sorry. That's not in your promise box, but it should be. He is promising you in the world, you will have adversity. But be of good cheer. You better get happy. I have overcome the world. That means him inside of you has overcome whatever comes against you. Nothing too big. Nothing too big. Nothing too broad. Nothing too hard. He said, is anything too hard for me? He said, my arm is not short that it cannot save you. It is a disgrace for you to think that God cannot help you. It's a disgrace to who he is. The wise man and the foolish man, the same storm hit them. Now I'm going to talk to you all. None of you in here, unless you're desperate to lose weight and have amazing willpower, none of you in here would just eat some crackers and some cheese and a piece of chicken today and not have another piece of food in your mouth until next Sunday. Am I right? Am I right? I dare say that you will be in that kitchen tonight. You will be in it tomorrow. You will be fixing, scrubbing something up the next day. But this is what we do in the body of Christ. This is what we do in church. You don't look at your Bible. You don't read your Bible. You don't let, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. Just like food is life to you. Good food is life to you. You can't survive on one sermon a week. You, you, you might not get through that cold side of the mountain. God wants to get you through it. But he said, my words are spirit and their life. You need to open up your Bible and go over those scriptures I just quoted to you. You need to read Isaiah 40. So what is the, what's the end of it? 40:29. I never read the end. 40:29. After all that about God, go to 28. Can you go to 28? He says that he is not ever faint or weary. The Lord of heaven who never gets tired. He said, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the one that lives in you, Justin, the creator of the ends of the earth, Tracy, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But next one, verse 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and shall utterly fall. The young men shall, even, even young people, I guarantee you that Zach, and I'm just picking on him because he's got big muscles. I guarantee you that Zach, if he only eats crackers and cheese and, and, and broccoli and chicken today, and he tries to go into the gym seven days later, he will be weak. 
He will be weak because he's not eating that which fuels his muscles. They might still look kind of big, but he will be weak. He will not do well in the gym. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord. Not like I'm waiting on something to happen. Those who minister unto the Lord. Those who take time to see how big he really is. Those who worship him. He'll renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're weary and if you're fainting, you need to rise up and say, I shall. I shall run and not be weary. I shall walk and not faint. Because the Lord that never sleeps or never slumbers, never slumbers. The Lord that is never weak, the Lord that never faints lives on the inside of me. And he said the same spirit woo, that raised Jesus from the dead will, will quicken. He dwells in you and will quicken your mortal body. Amen? Amen. 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 So let's talk about the wise man and the foolish man, right? And then I want you to throw up 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10 in just a minute. So don't let me forget, Paul. The wise man and the foolish man. Same storm hit them. But one built their life on the sand. One built their house on the rock. One built their house on the sand. What are you building your life on? Sunday's not enough. It's not enough for me. There may be an anointing on Pastor and I and Pastor Justin. There may be an anointing to do something he's called us to do. Just as there will be an anointing for you to do what you've been called to do. But we all play by the same rules. We all got to have carpet FaceTime. We all got to lift up the name of Jesus. We all got to praise him. We all got to adore him. We all got to use our faith. We have to use our faith in the morning just like you do. We have the devil sitting on top of our head in the morning just like you do. We've got to quote the word. We've got to get into our Bible and eat every day or we're going to be weak on Sunday. We'll have nothing to give you. Nothing. And so it is with you. Are you going to build on the rock or are you going to build on the sand? This is not good enough. You're all excited when you leave this morning because I just fed you with a hydrant of the word of God. You got potatoes and steak and beans and... Maybe a little key lime pie. Chicken, whatever. So you're like, you're, you're going out there going, ah, I feel good. I feel good. I feel good, baby. I feel good. You know, that's how you're feeling when you're walking out of church on Sunday morning. But what about Sunday night and Monday morning? You better start eating and you better eat more than crackers and cheese. You better get some chicken out. You better get some steak out. You better get some vegetables out and some fruit. Or you're going to be hungry and tired and faint. Amen? So God loves you. And God is working in you. But you got to work with him. Ephesians 3.20, according to the power that's at work in you. As much time as you invest into him and his word is what's going to come out in the fruit that it needs to out of your life. As much time as you don't not donate, as much time as you give yourself to him will be actual the visible outward working of the power of God in its fullness coming out of you. So what is, what is your adversity today? What is that north side of the mountain for you today? It's not too big for God. It's not too big for God. He's trying to make you sweeter. You need to, to really take a different shift and go, no, he's trying to make me sweeter. He's not necessarily trying to take it away. It will go away. 
but he's trying to make your music sweeter so you can be a greater blessing to you, your family, and the body of Christ. So throw that up on the screen, 1 Peter 5, 8. I've been waiting for it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He cannot devour every one of you. He walks about like a roaring lion. He has no teeth. Jesus made a spectacle of him. He triumphed over principalities. He made a show openly of it. But he still walks around like he can get you. The only way the devil can get you is through deceit and ignorance. Next verse. Nine. Resist him. You resist him. You resist him. Steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You do not have a special problem. Don't ever come to me and say, I have a special problem. Because I'm going to tell you some of my special problems. And you are not going to think yours is so special once you hear my special one. But I really don't want to share that one with you. Because you, you will not like it. <laughs> know this, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren the body of Christ, other people all over the world. You resist them steadfast in the faith. And I would veer to say this, that if only Zach ate, all he did was eat good food, that is not enough for him to be strong and have muscles. And that is not enough for you just to come to Sunday, come to Wednesday night, and even in your chair at home, get in the anointing and just eat. You've got to act. He's got to get on those weight machines and he's got to work it out. So whatever he said, he said, you resist him. Don't ask me to resist him. God's saying, Justin, you resist him. You stand up and say, no, you will not take my family. You will not take my husband. You will not take my home. In Jesus' name, I redeem from the curse. You say it. Don't tell me to say it. I'm not going to sing a song for you. James says, if you're happy, you sing. You lift your voice. If you need help, if you're sick, says let him pray. Not let Pastor Daryl pray. We're not against praying for you, okay? I'm, I'm just a disclaimer. But what James says is that if he, is there any sick among you, you pray. Is there any happy? You sing. I will tell you this, and I'm closing the service. Every one of you in this place need to have your hands in the air and your eyes on Jesus when we start worshiping God. If you can't do it here, you're not doing it the rest of the six days of the week. God is great and greatly to be praised. If you can't just praise him for who he is and what Jesus did, if everything in your life is hell on earth, at least you're not going. There's a day coming and you won't be there. My God, if nothing good happened to you but that you got saved and the blood of Jesus washed you, then that's something to shout about. That's something to sing about. That's something to worship God about. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Every day of your life, 
Get up out of bed and say, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you that I have a new spirit inside of me. I thank you that the spirit of God lives in me and he quickens now my mortal body. I thank you that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I thank you that I can stand. I can stand on the north side and the coldest side of the mountain and I can be the coldest side of the tree because the winds of adversity are making my bands and my inner man grow straighter and tighter and closer together. And I'm going to be making some sweet music. Not just sweet music, sweetest. And your test will turn into a testimony. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this morning. We give you praise. You're a great God. Oh, you're a great God. You said, who can liken me to anybody? Who is my equal? The Lord said in Isaiah 40. Who's my equal? Who can I be compared to? There's no one like me. He says, the inhabitants of the earth, you said they're like grasshoppers to you. You said the nations are like a drop in the bucket to you. You said you never faint. You never grow weary. You never sleep. You never slumber. And you said that if we'll wait on you, you'll renew our strength. You'll make us to mount up with wings like eagles far above far above even the coldest tree lines of the mountain. We'll run and not be weary and we'll walk and not faint. And so this day, I want you all to say this with me. He is strengthening me and establishing me and settling me through this adversity. According to 1 Peter 5.10. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we will make the sweetest music. We will make you big in our eyes. You already know you're big. But we will lift up our voice. We will read the word about who you say you are. And we will magnify you. We'll put that magnifying glass on this is who God says he is. And he's not just that randomly. He is that for me. Say that. He's that for me. He is that for me. I will not abandon the call. I will carry the ammunition. I will cross the street. I will cross the street. I will not be a coward. I will not give up. I will get the ammunition of the word of God, of the call of God, of the talents and the gifts and the abilities that God has given me. I will carry it to my nation. I will carry it to my generation. I will carry it to the people God puts in my life. I will carry that ammunition. I will not abandon the call that Jesus put on me according to Ephesians 2.10 that he put on me. I'm created in Christ for good works and I'm going to do them. And I don't have to do them by myself. But it's God in me effectually energizing me, working in me and helping make it come to pass. I don't have to do this. God, you're in me. And you said you got this. And so I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this powerful message. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to www.wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.